wildfire cleanup in Lytton. We're still waiting after 10 months that anything happened. Our first look inside the exclusion zone and what public safety minister Bill Blair says about stalled federal funding. Big plans for Broadway. We were building lots of the wrong type of housing in 2010. Now we are building a lot more of the right kind of housing. The 30-year ambition to transform a key corridor with rental accommodation. And a race to the altar. It has been um, insane. Couples who can't wait to get married and why they're choosing midweek weddings instead. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Well, good evening and thanks for joining us. More than 10 months after the fire that swept through Lytton, killing two people and destroying dozens of homes, we're getting our first look behind the fences. And so is Canada's emergency preparedness minister who toured the charred ruins today. John Hua has a closer look at the challenges village residents are facing and how the feds are promising to speed up what has so far been a slow recovery. It's like opening up a door to an almost unimaginable degree of devastation. A first up-close look from inside the village of Lytton, where flames left the community completely gutted from the ground up. I ran on Main Street with fire on both sides of me. Oh my God, look at that. Pierre Kevion says he was the last to flee the deadly fire on June 30th last year. Nearly 11 months later, many residents like him are still dealing with the pain. As the rebuilding process slowly begins. We have to forget what happened. We have to clean. Take those memories away. Some of that work is underway in certain parts of the village, including public buildings or properties that are not fully insured. I feel confident that by September, the village will be well on its way to being rebuilt. And by the equipment that we're wearing, you can see that the greatest concern with the cleanup process are contaminants and hazardous materials coming from the debris. And while seeing work being done here in the village does offer residents some hope, you can also see why it's so hard to hold on to. When anywhere you look, there are heartbreaking reminders of just how far they still have to go. It's hard to heal when you see all those debris. After touring the damage himself comes a promise from Canada's Minister of Emergency Preparedness to fast-track federal funds through its disaster financial assistance arrangement with the province. A lot of people are very frustrated. They want to get back to their lives, they want to get back to their homes, and we're going to do everything we can to help them. Another common complaint, the claim by private insurers that costing issues in archaeological work are stalling some of the cleanup, leaving those residents wondering why they're the only ones facing an uphill climb that seems to lead to nowhere. I'll certainly reach out to them and, and relate to, to them the experience that the people here are having. While village residents believe there is life outside the rubble, they say the hardest part of trying to rebuild as a community is being forced to do it one piece at a time. John Hua, Global News, Lytton. The mayor of Vancouver is making one final push to get his Broadway development plan passed by city council. Kennedy Stewart announced today amendments made to the plan that he says will offer protection to renters in the area who are at risk of losing their homes due to redevelopment. Richard Zussman has more. 
It will fundamentally change the way Vancouver looks. And now, Mayor Kennedy Stewart is making one last push to gain support for the Broadway plan. In the past in Vancouver, large-scale plans have ignored renters, driving people out of their neighborhoods with little or no regard. The city amending the plan covering nearly 500 square city blocks. It would allow towers up to 40 stories along the new Broadway subway corridor and 20 to 30 stories in shoulder areas with density already between Vine on the west, Clerk on the east, 16th on the south, and 1st on the north. Any renter required to move during development will have guarantees from City Hall. My amendments to the Broadway plan will guarantee that in the rare case any current renter must relocate, that person will have the choice of either being generously compensated for moving to a new home or be guaranteed the right to return to replacement buildings with rents at or below what they currently pay. But critics are quick to point out there are no developers yet who have stepped forward to ensure the mayor's promises, including a commitment to pay for moving costs, both in and out, while a new rental suite is being built. The idea that in a tight rental market like Vancouver has, or maybe about 1% vacancy, you could take thousands of renters, move them while their buildings are being demolished and new buildings are built, which would take three to five years minimally, and then move them back, and then say that you're gonna have the same rent or lower, it's just pie in the sky. The provincial government is largely supportive of the Broadway plan, but would not go as far to say that they would hold back money for transit projects if city council votes against it. We want their governments and other local governments to consider affordability, yes, to uh, ensure that there is good housing stock as part of these projects, but we respect the jurisdiction of of Vancouver. The vote is expected to take place at Vancouver City Council on Wednesday. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A Vancouver Park Board Commissioner and mayoral candidate says a new tent encampment in downtown Vancouver is just the latest example of a problem that's out of control. As Paul Johnson shows us, John Cooper says the tent city in Crab Park isn't good for the city, its image, or for the people who live in it. On a sunny day, it's a stark and heartbreaking contrast. Vancouver's newly returned mega cruise ships and the city's Crab Park tent encampment in the foreground. Exploring the camp Thursday, we found conditions consistent with its predecessors, the Strathcona and Oppenheimer camps. After years of promises and even a new housing coordinator hired by the park board, here's what some residents told us about their situation. Has anybody offered you guys housing yet? I've been on a wait list eight, eight and a half months. I've been down here six or seven months now. Okay. I've not been offered any housing. We know there's propane tanks in there, and uh, that's a big concern, I think, in terms of public safety for these people that are living there. Vancouver Mayor candidate John Cooper says government response remains inadequate, both in the provision of shelter and incentivizing people to accept it when it's available. If there is housing available, you should have to be in there. You should have to take it. There's no reason for people to be outside in these conditions. The park board told Global News their rangers are regularly on the scene working on safety and that they're collaborating with other branches of government on more permanent options. But the politics of urban encampments may be shifting. 
just this week, Seattle cleared out its biggest camp, and Toronto is considering using private security to keep camps from setting up in the first place. Also Thursday, another mayor candidate, Ken Sim, criticized City Hall's work on the issue, which hasn't amounted to much, according to Daniel. So Daniel, you say if, if a room was offered to you tonight, you'd take it, but it hasn't yet. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's, yeah. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Another Metro Vancouver mayor is embroiled in controversy. Langley City Council has censured Mayor Val Vandenbroek for what it says is conduct unbecoming a member of City Council. In a statement, the city says the action against Vandenbroek relates to the city's respectful workplace policy, the Workers' Compensation Act, and the Occupational Health and Safety Guidelines and Policies. But it provides no further details and says council members can't talk about it due to confidentiality and privacy legislation. Press release indicates the matter was independently investigated by a third party and Vandenbroek was given the opportunity to participate in the process. As part of the censure, Vandenbroek has been removed from a number of committees and jobs she had in her position as mayor. Now, late this afternoon, CKNW's Jazz Johal spoke with Vandenbroek on the decision by Langley City Council. Here's what she had to say just a short time ago is that there was some concern over certain spending. Citizens should be asking council why the full report hasn't been released and just piecemeal pieces of it. Um, I, I think that I would hope that the citizens would ask why um, this full report isn't coming out. Um, you know, if part of it has been released, then why hasn't the full thing been released? That's what I would ask. A warning now about our next report, although it's a story that involves compassion, some of the images might still be disturbing. The mother of a 15-year-old girl who was beaten and humiliated by bullies with the video posted online says the community is rallying behind her daughter with overwhelming support. Romina Dea reports. The victim's mother humbled by all the generous words of encouragement, love, and personal stories of bullying sent to her daughter. She didn't expect it. Um, she felt very alone uh, through this, other than, of course, having me. Um, she's joyed, and she wants, to, she wants to do more with it. Like, my daughter's even mentioned opening a Facebook page. The 15-year-old Cloverdale girl still recovering from the savage beating which was posted online. A concussion, broken nose, cuts and bruises. But she's a survivor. I'm so proud of her. She's so strong. Um, the way she didn't fight back and she held her own. She just was so strong at the same time. And I couldn't ask for a better kid. The disturbing story equally inspirational for hundreds of strangers who want the teen to know the community has her back. Flowers, cards, gifts, monetary donations, even an offer of an all-expenses-paid trip to Disneyland from an anonymous donor. I want her to know that she is very, very loved and she can get through anything and there's support wherever for whatever she may need. Videos, pictures, text messages, hundreds of pieces of information have been forwarded to police. One youth was arrested and released on a promise to appear. Parents have turned their children in. Some of the teens involved have contacted the victim's family to apologize. No charges have been late. 
you can be anything you want to be. The victim's mother forever grateful for the support as her kid continues to be tormented. A picture of her unconscious daughter just posted online. Teens bragging, no empathy. From the schools to the justice system, there must be consequences, says mom. It's just going to keep getting more violent and more violent and more violent. My daughter escaped with her life, but is the next kid or the next victim? It just, it needs to be stopped now. And kids need to be held, held accountable for their actions. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, the stunning news that a well-known elderly couple were the victims of a double homicide in Abbotsford is causing anxiety in that community. Police have yet to determine whether this was a random attack or targeted. And as Catherine Urquhart tells us, that's leaving people on edge. The bodies of 77-year-old Arnold de Jong and his 76-year-old wife Joanne were discovered Monday inside their Abbotsford home. Members of IHIT, the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team, continue to collect evidence at the scene, which is being called complex. Area residents are worried. I don't know why it happened. It shouldn't happen and it's so unfortunate, I think. Arnold de Jong was a trucker and owned de Jong Transport. Abbotsford's mayor says he knew the de Jongs for more than 40 years. I was shocked. And they are um, a well-loved uh, couple in our community. I am concerned um, with the reporting that I've seen. That, uh, and I would encourage people to be vigilant. Ayad is the lead investigator, and so far, few details about the case are being released. Their last comments were made Wednesday. We have additional homicide investigators, detectives, and canvassers on scene, so there is a lot of police presence in that area. So there's, a, there's not as much risk to the public right now. Abbotsford police say the community's safety is their top priority. We are in the community. We are conducting uh, high visibility patrols all throughout Abbotsford, not a specific area. Uh, we are understanding that obviously the residents in the affected area of this incident are concerned, uh, and we're aware of that. Anyone with information or video that could assist investigators is asked to contact IHIT or Abbotsford Police. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The pandemic pushed back a lot of wedding plans, but now that things are getting back to normal, the race is on to get hitched. Unfortunately, it's causing some couples a little bit of heartache when they look at the calendar of available dates. That's coming up next on the News Hour. Kyra McLean is just like any other Canadian teenager, but in some ways, he's not. The Juno nomination that's earning him a whole bunch of new fans later. And this is no ordinary classroom. How the think tank is training a whole new generation of animators coming up later. Right now, though, let's get a check of our COVID-19 numbers for the last week. And it includes increases in all reportable categories. Just shy of 600 people are now in hospital. 54 of those patients are in the ICU. There have been 59 additional deaths due to complications of the virus over the past seven days. And we have nearly 2,000 new confirmed cases. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with a closer look at the COVID numbers. And Keith... They are a reminder we are still in a pandemic and those hospital numbers are on the rise again. 
Yeah, that rise in the ICU number is quite uh, significant and uh, uh, troubling. Hopefully that, does, that trend does not continue. It's hard to make week-to-week comparisons with only weekly dumps of data from the Center for Disease Control, but hospitalizations are a good indicator. So take a look at what we've seen the last three weeks. Uh, you go back to the, the last week of April, 392 for one week. Then it went down 331. But in the past week, uh, it's gone up significantly, almost a 50% increase in hospitalizations. That is concerning. A couple other things to keep an eye on. On. The positivity rate, for example, continues to be fairly high at almost 11%. It's really high on Vancouver Island and the interior. Uh, that, that two health authorities have about 25% of the hospital cases, which is disproportionately high compared to the, the, uh, the population. And finally, again, 75% of hospital cases continue to be, by and large, on a weekly basis, people over the age of 60. That doesn't seem to be changing. So again, age seems to be a big determining factor when it comes to, to severity of illness. And a reminder, that's the age group that needs their third dose more than other third uh, other age groups because they are more susceptible to getting a more serious form of COVID-19. So if you haven't got your third dose and it's been six months since your second, go out and get it. And if you can, get that fourth dose too. We know that's important as well. All right, Keith, thank you. Prosecutors have dropped two dozen tickets against three church pastors in Chilliwack who held in-person worship services when they were prohibited by public health orders. A total of 66 tickets had been issued to the pastors of the three of the uh, pardon me of the Chilliwack Free Reformed Church, the Free Grace Baptist Church and the Valley Heights Community Church. In a statement, the prosecution service says Crown lawyers reviewed 24 of those charges and determined the assessment standard was no longer met, although similar cases remain before the court. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, which represents the churches, says those withdrawn tickets would have totaled more than $55,000. And after two years, more than two years of small ceremonies and missed celebrations, it seems couples are no longer willing to wait for prime time to tie the knot. Since COVID restrictions were lifted, event planners have been seeing a rush in business. And it's leading to a new phenomenon weekday weddings. Here's Kylie Stanton. These are the vow books. For two years, there were tears, stress, and heartache. Instead of I do, these two little words, think small, had plans grinding to a halt. But fast forward to restrictions lifting. I don't believe we will have to go back to broad societal measures. And couples quite literally started racing to the altar. It has been insane. Everyone was pent up and ready to go. As of February 17th of this year, weddings were allowed to resume without capacity limits. Pair that with the mask mandate being lifted in mid-March and the end of the vaccine cards, and things have never been busier. Basically went from zero to 100. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all booked with weddings. Here at Shaughnessy Restaurant, they're having to get creative in order to accommodate the demand. We're seeing every day of the week, um, multiple in the same day, um, definitely um, a lot more than we've seen in 2019, which was a regular event and wedding year. The venue hosted 45 weddings that year, while so far in 2022, it's at 85 and counting. Couples now willing to forego the typical summer Saturday and instead are open to any available date, even well into shoulder season. 
I'm looking at booking late October and November um, and into December. So with any event space, I feel like right now in this year particular, um, booking early is important. It's not just a relief for the couples, but also the industry that at one point was on the brink of collapse. The rush is expected to continue until at least 2024. And while that has its challenges, for better or worse, well, this is better. Certainly going through another uh, you know, pandemic season would have caused a lot of businesses to go under. So it's definitely a best case scenario um, for you know, to have all of this demand. And now we're definitely here for it. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, family doctors disappear in Whistler. Most of my friends don't have a, any kind of family doctor at the moment. With this clinic now closed, a radical plan to save primary care under a better model. And sexual predators spiking drinks, where you better keep an eye on yours. After some earlier problems and delays over at the Patello Bridge, traffic has eased off in both directions, with just pockets of volume southbound down McBride on the approach. Thermidor transforms kitchens with artful appliances that are intelligent and personalized, bringing unparalleled refrigeration and cooking performance home. The innovation is Thermidor's. The expression is yours. Visit Thermidor.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team. And let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. Whistler is the latest B.C. community to lose another medical clinic, exacerbating the family physician shortage in the province. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, the closure is putting greater urgency on a new model of nonprofit primary health care and away from the traditional family practice. Wayne Gorman has lived in Whistler since 2008. When he lost his family doctor a few years ago, even the simplest of needs became a bit of an ordeal, forced to line up and wait at the walk-in clinic. Most of my friends don't have a, any kind of family doctor at the moment. Now the doctor shortage has reached an all-new low. May 1st, the town center medical clinic shut its doors. Both physicians retired and left 100 patients without access to primary care. Doctors in Whistler say there are no issues attracting new hires. There are plenty of physicians pulling shifts at the ER. The problem is the cost of family practice. The fee-for-service model doesn't really work here. The way that primary care is delivered over the last five to ten years has just really blown up in complexity and cost. It's outgrown the business model. Whistler 360 Health Collaborative has been launched to better address the shortage. The plan is to build a dedicated community-based care clinic attached to the current health centre that would be operated by the nonprofit. The administrative and overhead costs offset by the nonprofit, freeing up physicians to treat patients. So how can we offer those administrative services, hiring, training, uh, managing of electronic medical records, so the doctors and nurse practitioners can show up, do their job, and not worry about cutting checks? The model already being implemented. Current funding has allowed for a nursing clinic to open, and several physicians have already taken the step to transition to the society. 
Vancouver Coastal Health has provided some space for new care providers to come on stream. Hopefully we um, are able to make steps forward to a larger facility that would house the 14 to 16 practitioners that ultimately we need. The next challenge will be obtaining charitable status, allowing Whistler 360 to pay for the professional management and a new facility. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up next, an eagle poaching case crumbles. We had nothing to do with with the findings of those birds. They're, they're sacred to us. What the men wrongfully accused say now that charges have been dismissed. And towel power, remembering that wild moment 40 years ago, immortalized in a statue outside Rogers Arena. Good evening. Still seeing some delays for eastbound traffic along Highway 1 through Vancouver and Burnaby. Not helping. Crews are on scene to a crash just before Sprott in the HOV lane. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, there are calls for a public inquiry to be held into a high-profile poaching case in B.C. The matter led to a mistrial, a fraud conviction against a senior conservation officer in charge of the investigation and alleged unethical behavior. And as Nithu Garcha reports, it began more than a decade and a half ago after dozens of eagle carcasses were found in North Vancouver. The feathers that I'm wearing are close to 100 years old handed down from my, my grandpa, Cecilowit. But Ralph Leon, chief of Staela's tribe in the eastern Fraser Valley, had to wait years to wear the sacred headdress. He earned the cultural right to use it, but says a probation order barred him from using eagle feathers. It started with the discovery of nearly 50 mutilated eagle carcasses in North Vancouver. Chief Leon, who survived abuse in a residential school, was arrested and strip-searched when he, his friend Gary Abbott, and 11 others were charged with various Wildlife Act offences in 2006. We had nothing to do with, with the findings of those birds. They're, they're sacred to us. Almost a decade later, in 2015, Crown Council determined it no longer had grounds to proceed and their charges were dropped, but not before the case claimed many of their reputations, relationships and jobs. Teacher by trade and I wasn't allowed to be that teacher, which I loved so much. Nine years we went and had to check in every week for bail. There are hardened criminals that didn't have to do this every week for nine years like we did. Their lawyer argued the BC Conservation Officer Service used inappropriate undercover tactics, attending Indigenous cultural events like powwows to gain trust, bringing alcohol into the otherwise dry reserve, and luring the accused men into illegal activity. I don't want my children or my grandchildren to have to go through that. That's why we, we were fighting this. Their story is now the subject of a petition tabled by BC Conservative MP Brad Viss in the House of Commons this week. Those wrongfully charged have gathered sufficient evidence showcasing A, conspiracy to prosecute innocent people, 
B. Defamatory media release vilifying Indigenous peoples and cultures. C. Fabrication of evidence and concealment of evidence, including perjury. B.C.'s Environment Minister says if Ottawa decides to do a public inquiry, he would support it, along with calls to return their seized regalia. Much has changed in the last seven years, not the least of which was our government adopting the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act. We'll take action to work with the Indigenous nations in an appropriate way to return material that is not subject to confiscation by the courts. I don't put blame directly on on people that that have a job to do, but just come learn who I am, who I stand for. Beyond understanding, these men are also seeking an apology with acknowledgement the systemic efforts to make Indigenous culture criminal are not just a part of Canada's history, but Canada's present. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Staelis. Nanaimo RCMP are warning nightclub patrons about several recent reports of spiked drinks at local bars. Police say all the incidents occurred last weekend at different nightclubs in downtown Nanaimo. And in one case, two people were hospitalized. Frontline officers were alerted last Friday after seeing paramedics responding to the pair outside a club. Police say both individuals were extremely intoxicated and the investigation revealed they may have unknowingly ingested a substance. It appears at least six people, including one man, were victims of spiked drinks. You need to watch your drinks. You need to watch the drinks of your friends. I know that there's people that for uh, different motivations um, may do this to another person. Uh, it, could be, it could be a personal act of revenge. It could be an act of mischief. It could be something that's leading towards more of a sexual thing. We, we don't know what the motivation is in this case. And of course, anyone with information on any of the drink spiking incidents is asked to contact Nanaimo RCMP. Coming up, the coolest classroom you could think of. This is just an homage to Jules Verne, who wrote 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So. Where animators go to learn how to make movie magic. And life is easy now. The youngest nominee ever for a Juno Award in reggae music coming up. Attention. Need the latest info on budgeting, personal finances, taxes, affordability, or any other money issues in this pricey province? Then get informed. Andrua examines Consumer Matters on Global News. A lot of people are excited because a pro cycling race is returning to the lower mainland this summer. The venue this time is moving to Vancouver. And even closer to my neighborhood. Exactly. <laughs> the inaugural Tour de Concord was held at the east end of Metropolis at Metrotown last year. But this year, the free family festival will take place near False Creek on the afternoon and evening of Thursday, June 30th. Along with a kids race, the main event will feature two pro races on an 850-meter closed-circuit course starting and ending at BC Place. The pro races will run for approximately an hour to 75 minutes, and that will take about 40 to 50 laps around this closed circuit. Um, this will be obviously going at a very high, fast speed. It's very technical, and it's a very exciting race for thousands of the spectators to enjoy and watch. Safety car comes in. Nick Cassidy the, for the, the Formula E race, which was originally set to follow the bike race on the Canada Day long weekend, has been officially postponed. But great to hear the bike race is going to happen and definitely exciting to watch. I'll it's be here 
so I won't be able to watch it in person. <laughs> it is. It's just walking distance from, from yeah. your place. I bet you'll miss it. All right. Kasia is in for Christy tonight. And Hello. Yes, hoping for an improvement in the weather over the next little while. Okay, uh, I'll say okay to that. Okay, tomorrow morning we could get some sunny breaks, so it's going to be a nice morning. We still do have some showers uh, for the evening and the overnight hours, so it's 9 degrees at this point. Wind's coming in from the south at 17K. These are today's daytime highs, so it was around seasonal for the northern flank of the province and the southeast corner of the province, Lillooet at 19. Uh, but the south coast, we had record low daytime highs today, so it's been a long time. These were shattering records. Records, by the way, we had to go as far back as 1964, for instance, for the city of Vancouver to see comparable temperatures to, uh, for this date. So May 12 is going to go in the record book. As you'll know, look at that. We had to go back 111 years to see comparable temperatures in Nanaimo. So it's been cooler than normal, really, by a good 5 to 10 degrees for a lot of us. Tomorrow morning, there's that little sunball there for you. 8 degrees in the morning and then 12 into the afternoon. We'll cloud up tomorrow afternoon overcast skies. And again, 12. We do have snow also at higher elevation highways for tonight as well as tomorrow morning. Heavier amounts in the east, 5 to 10 centimeters. This is at 900 meters and above. So tomorrow's forecast across the north. We'll notice an increase in cloudiness over the north coast. We do have showers in the afternoon and the possibility of thunderstorms. Also showers for you in the central interior. But it's morning rain for you over the southern interior and then into the afternoon we're going to be clearing out. Temperatures still a little bit below seasonal but nice and comfortable anywhere between 14 and 16 degrees in the Thompson and the Okanagan, 10 in Cranbrook and uh, 14 in uh, closer to Nelson. Now over here on Vancouver Island, we'll cloud up into the afternoon and then we'll see some showers on Vancouver Island in the afternoon. It's not until the evening that we could get a few showers in Metro Vancouver Friday night and then Saturday, it's just a slight chance of a shower. Your Centra Windows weather window is brought to us by David Nixon, the new, the fresh powder over the Vancouver Island. Island Mountains. Beautiful, but a little late for that. Mm. As long as it melts slowly. Yeah, that's good important. Point. All right, thanks, Kasia. Canada's biggest music awards show, the Junos, is set to return live and in person this weekend. And among those walking the red carpet will be a Toronto area teen with extraordinary talent. Talent that not only has him up for a nomination, but has secured his place in the award show's history books. Global's Kayla McLean has his story. By all appearances, Cairo McLean seems every bit like your average 13-year-old. I play basketball. I play video games. 2K, obviously, because I'm, I'm a basketball fan. Other than that, I like to read and um, hang out with my friends. Totally average. Except he's anything but. You see, Cairo wrote this song, Rise Again, off his 2021 EP, Easy Now. Not only is it his first ever release, but it earned him an historic nod at this year's Juno Awards, the youngest person ever to be nominated for Reggae Recording of the Year. You know, like, it's, it's my dream come true. Not bad for an eighth grader who taught himself how to play the guitar and picked up his first instrument, the drums, when he was only three. We always used to play a lot of rubber dub around the house often. So like super cat and yellow man and zoom, go, zoom, go, zoom, go, zoom. and all the greats. 
the politician man. I'm wondering what you got in your plan. Is it inspired by the godfathers of reggae? Cairo says his music and lyrics follow the tradition of reggae as a genre of protest against systems of oppression. The message I hope to get across in in my music is, as I said, everyone deserves a fair chance. You know, you see a lot of bullying, and uh, you see a lot of racism, especially what happened with George Floyd a few years ago. I feel like those issues need to be tackled because they're very deep-rooted in society. Like any star, Cairo already has his groupies. But none perhaps more devoted, more adoring, or more proud than his mom. But this is really exciting that one of my children is being recognized, you know, on such a grand. I'm his biggest fan. As for Cairo, whether he wins the Juno or not, this is just the beginning. This is like the first milestone in my career, you know? I'm not going to stop here. I'm just going to keep going and keep going at it. And um, hopefully one day I'll get a Grammy. Hopefully one day I'll, I'll win five Junos in one day. A mind without limits. Kayla McLean, Global News. Kids going places. So talented. Uh-huh. Wow. His mom, obviously proud. I brought home a participation trophy. <laughs> he gets a Juno nomination. Oh, your mom is still pretty <laughs> proud of you. Uh, okay, Squire's here. And yes, we're talking about this seminal moment. Uh, waving the towel. Yes, it's now a statue. But the night Roger Nielsen raised the towel in a playoff game against Chicago to protest bad refereeing, that galvanized the Canucks. That was a big thing. Uh, uh, I think that turned the series for us, that, that, that move. After this move, the Canucks won three straight against Chicago and made the Stanley Cup Finals. What a time. Also tonight, a classroom for creative types. Why you can thank Think Tank for the most memorable moments in some of your favorite movies. All right, Squires here now with sports. Yeah, good news for soccer fans. BC will finally get a close-up look at Canada's men's World Cup team because Canada is going to play Iran in a friendly at BC place on Sunday, June the 5th. Now, that's a good game for both teams since they have both qualified for the World Cup. Canada will also play June 9th at BC place against Curacao. That's part of the CONCACAF Nations tournament. That won't be as good a test for Canada as uh, Iran will. The uh, Vancouver Giants, of course, shocked Everett in round one of the WHL playoffs. And tonight, if they beat Kamloops, they will even that series 2-2, which would also be a huge surprise. Now, Barry is at the LEC make that with Giants owner Ron Toigo to talk about tonight's Game 4. Ron Toigo, owner of the Vancouver Giants. Uh, Here we are, Game 4, Western Conference semifinals. A month ago, after you'd lost 11 of 12 going into the playoffs, did you ever think you'd be here? Well, uh, no. It, uh, it, but you know what? But now that we are here, I'm not surprised we're here because we really underachieved so much this year. We didn't expect to be at the bottom of the, the, the standings. And, um, you know, when it ended, uh, we, we, all the guys, the meetings were all about, you know what? The slate's clean. We're starting over again. We're a good team. We're, we're not a young team. We're an older team. And we can compete. And anything can happen. And the first round, anything did happen. And they're on a roll again, and uh, we're starting to get some bodies back, so who knows where this can go. And, and you can definitely feel the fan base is, is back into yeah, it. They're yeah, excited about the Giants yeah, the again. the building's live now. It's a lot more fun. The beer's colder. The food's better. <laughs> it's all good now. 
I'll vouch for the beer for sure. Yeah. So Giants trying to win game four tonight against Kamloops to even the series at two apiece. Game time, seven o'clock. Highlights tonight at 11. Squire, back to you. Thank you, gentlemen. Great day for Canadians at the Italian Open Tennis Tournament. Bianca Andreescu made the quarterfinals. Felix Auger-Aliassime made the quarterfinals. And Denis Shapovalov had to play Rafael Nadal. He lost the first set 6-1. But uh, Denis stepped up his game in the second set. And he won it 7-5. In the third set, Nadal broke Shapovalov in the first game. But Denis got that right back. Now, Nadal definitely had a sore foot. So that didn't help him. But Shapovalov sensing the opportunity... Big forehand down the line. He took out Nadal in three sets. 1-6, 7-5, 6-2. So Denis Shapovalov joins his Canadian friends in the quarters in Italy. Well, the shocking winner of the Kentucky Derby is not going to run in the Preakness. Rich Strike will pass on the uh, second leg of the Triple Crown, but he will apparently run in the Belmont Stakes, which is the third leg. Rich Strike was an 80-to-1 winner in the Derby, coming from behind when the favorites were burnt out from a very quick pace in the first part of the race. Well, on the way to the 1982 Stanley Cup Finals against the Islanders, the Vancouver Canucks needed a few galvanizing moments, and one of the biggest ones came in Game 2 of their third-round series with Chicago, courtesy of head coach Roger Nielsen, a moment that is now immortalized by a statue in front of Rogers Arena. If you don't know the history, you might think this statue is of a man surrendering. But what you're looking at is an act of defiance. Another galvanizing moment in the Vancouver Canucks unlikely Stanley Cup run of 1982. Roger Nielsen has a The referee, there was only one referee at that time, uh, was calling penalty after penalty um, on us. Roger could see what's happening with us players. He wanted to calm us down, but he's getting the support to us. Roger Nielsen is being ejected from the game. I, I think we lost the game, and we went back to uh, Chicago Stadium. You go down about 20 steps of stairs like this, and we get in the room, and it's like we won the game. Everybody was happy and cheering, and yeah, what is that? And I think that turned the game around, the, the series around, and that was it. Do you think it'll rally the guys a little bit stronger now, something like that happening at the end of the game? Who knows, but I think we'll all be ready for this next game, that's for sure. The Canucks were ready for Game 3, but so were the fans, who had adopted what was called towel power. The white towel. You see, orange towel blue towels, red towels, all over the world. It was invented here by our fans. That was something that we all fed off and made us a better team and a harder team to play against. Following the towel wave in Game 2, the Canucks never lost another game to Chicago in this series, and it sent Vancouver to the Stanley Cup Final. By raising a white towel, Roger Nielsen had taught his players to never surrender. Roger uh, had a different way of looking at everything, and uh, the guys bought into it. Um, you can have the best coach in the world, but if the guys don't buy into his philosophy, then it ain't going to go very far. 
Boston Bruins have forced a game seven against Carolina. They won their uh, game tonight 5-2. Uh, the little score is way down there. <laughs> it's on his shoes. Yeah. Thanks, Quar. Up next, the BC Think Tank, where movie magic is made. You probably never heard of the Think Tank Training Center, but chances are good you've seen the work of its graduates. It's a school for visual effects artists to learn the ins and outs of the movie business. And as Jay Durant shows us on This Is BC, it's not like any school you've ever seen. This is just an homage to Jules Verne, who wrote 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So Clearly, this is not your ordinary campus. Rivets instead of white walls. Every corner looks more like a movie set than a classroom. So we're just trying to make it so people come in and go, oh, this feels like the industry, this feels cool, this feels like a studio. With a backdrop that sparks imagination, Think Tank Training Center has been building a reputation that's attracting top talent from around the world. My students are on the greatest projects, you know, everything from uh, Stranger Things to Fortnite to Star Wars to uh, Black Panther. As soon as I finished the program, even almost didn't finish, I got the sh a shop in, in one of the biggest studios here in Vancouver. You see how useful it is to make the geo... Mastering 3D computer graphics here has launched countless careers in TV, film and video games with graduates producing all kinds of cutting-edge effects. Anything that you can destroy, that you don't really want to destroy in real life, that's what we do. So we do life drawing in here and sculpture. This is the brainchild of someone who is captivated by special effects at a young age. You got to know that when Star Wars came out in 1977, I was the first guy there. Like, we went to the midnight show before anybody else. He's using a tablet with a... Now Thompson and his team are helping train new waves of creative artists. And he's not quite finished with the interior decorating. There's still more ideas coming from the crash DC3 corner office. It's all just a work in progress, you know. We'll probably find some other thing to do once we get through this stuff. Every year we're, we're always in the top three. Uh, we, we win categories for sure. We've been ranked second in the world three times, I think. Uh, we've never cracked number one in the world. And this year, I think, is maybe the year. Well, we'll see. Jay Durant, Global News. Stunning imagery. All right, if you know someone who has a great story to tell, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Such a cool place. All right, uh, Kasia, we'll give the final word to you. All right. Could even get some sunshine tomorrow morning. Tomorrow, kicking off the day under a partly cloudy sky, and then in the afternoon, that's when we'll be clouding up. Wouldn't be surprised if we got a pop-up isolated shower tomorrow and Saturday, but for the most part, mostly dry. Oh, good to hear as a baseball coach. Thank you, Kasia. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. <laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.